Welcome to the Point Church Teaching Podcast. I'm Corey Ickes, one of the pastors here at Point Church in Fort Liberty. We seek to exalt Jesus and equip the saints through expositional preaching and teaching. I hope you're encouraged and uplifted from this week's teaching. Amen. Good morning. All right. Hey, if you would, turn your copy in the scriptures to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, we are picking back up our Story of God series. Uh, So last week we had a um, kind of an implication, or, you know, Brother Marty uh, shared uh, around evangelism in light of God's story from creation to fall to the rescue or redemption and then the restoration. And so this week we're actually kind of kicking off our series, series looking at creation. But I just I want to remind folks uh, of a couple of things that is kind of from our introduction just as a recap. And maybe you missed it or if you're like me and you just forget Okay, so for one, listen to this quote from Leslie Newbegin, who was a missiologist, a missionary. If the biblical story does not control our thinking, then we'll be swept into the story that the world tells about itself. And this becomes very critical in light of creation and the origin of all things. But in terms of this series recap, this is a series in which we are taking a large kind of 30,000, 60,000 foot view of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation as this cursory overview in which we see there being a single theme or a driving theme that ties like a thread if you were to tie it to Genesis and pull it all the way through Revelation. A picture of God's pursuit of people through redemption. Okay? And this becomes important because it needs to be the lens in which we understand the whole Scripture. Now, obviously, there are different books of the Bible. There's numerous accounts. There's a massive timeline within the Bible in which specific things happen. But it all needs to be interpreted and understood in light of what we're calling our biblical theology or this theology of understanding not just systematic topics, right, of theology or, or doctrine, but, but really this progressive revelation of God and His saving plan. That, that the, whole of, the whole of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, like even in the Judges, right, even in Leviticus where it just feels like you're, you're just gritting your teeth to get through and understand how in the world this has to do with anything, It is helping us understand God's plan for redemption. Because remember, what does Leviticus stipulate but so many of the rules and regulations around what is clean and what is unclean, right? What uh, what sacrifice, you know, in sin, what what sacrifice atones for what sin? See, at the end of the day, we find that it is the sacrifice of the spotless, blemishless Lamb of God that atones once for all the sins. And so we go throughout the, all of Scripture and we're seeing it in light. So remember, our, our parts, creation, the fall, redemption, and restoration. Today we're looking at creation. 
The question that we're answering is how it all began. How did it all begin? And this becomes a critical question in light of Leslie Newbigin's quote that if, it's, if the Bible is not controlling our minds and our thoughts, that we will be swept into the story that the world is telling about itself. But the origin of things, how did it all begin? This is a thing that within society we get really geeked out about, right? I mean, I can't list them because I'm, I'm, I, I would really blow it. But like most epic series, whether it's a book series or a movie series, at some point, typically not at the beginning, but right, like once they're kind of running out of, you know, new storyline, what do they do? They go back to the origin, Right? Who was Batman before he was Batman? You, you can feel, I don't know, but I'm just saying that's an example. What is the origin? Anybody been in an organization in which you're, you're navigating a policy or some kind of procedure and you're going, man, what's the origin of this thing? Jimmy just whispered every day. I read his lips. What's the origin? Like, how, how did this even become a thing? As a church planner, there was a point in which we were, um, I'd say, a year or two in uh, planning a church, and one, we're sitting at a meeting, and we're like, man, I wish that there was a thing, like, almost like a document that we could put just all the really pertinent information on, and actually, like, maybe just hand it to people at the door. You know, and somebody actually, like, uttered those words, and then there's a pause, and somebody goes, you mean like a... Like a bulletin? Hmm. You see, like, great idea, right? There was an origin to a problem, and the bulletin was the solution, and still is in a lot of ways. How all things began. But the question I have today, and this kind of goes back to Newbegin's point, is are we being shaped more by what the Word of God says about how things began than we are about how the, or we're being shaped more by the world and its story of how things began. As a church, we want to stand on the Word of God, but in practicality and function, we run the risk of, if we're not being steeped, if we're not students of the Word, if we're not regularly taking in the Word of God, we run risk of actually just kind of subliminally, not even meaning to, casually being informed by the world. And so here is how this thing, uh, how this thing teases out, and I just, I'm going to hit it kind of right off the bat so that we understand that this is not just an origin story, but the origin story begins to inform the worldview. Okay, so think about the world story and what most of our children are being taught. And if you pull up a Nat Geo or a whatever documentary, I love them. They're phenomenal. But what is the origin of things? A bajillion years ago, right? And there wasn't a a God of the Bible, but oftentimes just some chance 
There was the right pressures and, and, and thermal whatevers you want to fill in the blank, or there's some kind of master clockwinder deity who just kind of, you know, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, made this big thing, and he's kind of wound it up, and now he can kind of step back and just let it tick, right? Or there was a big boom, and at the end of the day, all these complex systems just found their, their way. We ended up slowly becoming something, what we are from, from some kind of pre-human form. But think about how that quickly shifts from how it all began to what's the problem with the world? Well, the problem is we need more time. We need more education. We need more resources. And, and, and eventually, we will work out these kinks. You know, we'll be, we're generally good people, and we'll just kind of keep, we'll keep evolving and becoming the best version of ourselves. But who's the main character in that story? Ourselves. And who is the one who actually solves the issue over plenty of time and and all the circumstances coming together, but it's us. But consider the biblical narrative in which the God of the universe, according to the Bible, before anything existed, through his incredible power, speaks into existence all things, and then sovereignly rules and reigns creating humans in particular uh, in his image for his purposes to live completely good, right, and perfect lives in, within his creation. You see, God is at the center of this thing. Now, we know, and we're going to tease out through this series, that something went critically bad, right? Like, woefully, like, shot heard round the cosmos bad and that because of sin we are bad because of our sin we are helpless and not able to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps we're not able to save ourselves but continue to dig the hole deeper and deeper and deeper anybody's experience been that pre-jesus yeah certainly But you see, the narrative of how all things began quickly informs and answers the question, what is the answer to the problem? And so, I want to just lay that out as a a warning for us as the people that we don't find ourselves loving Jesus but being kind of subliminally impacted or shaped by a narrative from the world that does not, it's just not congruent with the Bible, okay? Now, I know there might be somebody, there might be an old earth person in here uh, that, you know, catches me in the lobby. Hey, I think there's room at the table, okay? We can talk about it. But what we want to see as the people of God is what's in the Word of God and be shaped exclusively by it, amen? Hey, let's pray, and we're going to jump into Genesis 1 and have a big time. Father, we love you. We thank you that you are who you say you are. You did what you said you would do, and that because of it, 
we are a new creation. As we look into your word and see how things began, Lord, we want to dig our heels in on the word of God as authority, as supreme in our lives, that everything else comes under the authority of you and your spoken word. God, would you guide our time today? Would you shape us? Lord, I pray for any friends in the room who have yet to actually trust on you as their Savior and King. Would today be the day for salvation? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so our main idea today is that we were made to live under the perfect loving rule of God in his kingdom. All right, hear me. We were made to live under the perfect rule and reign of God's kingdom. We were made for that. And we're going to see that in Genesis. But the first thing that we're going to see in Genesis, and if you join me in verse 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. See, the first thing I want us to understand is that it's the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit who established and rules over creation. Okay, It's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, three in one, right? Three persons of the Godhead. Confusing? Certainly. But do we trust it? 100%. But we see them at play here before anything has been established. We get further clarity in John 1 when it says, speaking about Jesus, in the beginning was the Word, capital W. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of the men. Listen to this. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You see, we're helped in seeing that the Word, okay? God's Word, capital W, being the Son. How was creation made? We see that God speaks. What does He speak? A Word. In creating all things. He speaks it into existence, right? There was nothing, and God from his power, from with all that is within him, is able to speak the word and create. God purposely laid the foundation of all of creation, and it was good. He laid, he, he laid it in in like on purpose, and I want us to see the purpose here as we walk through Genesis 1 to see the order in which he made things because it was the foundation, right? He didn't start with, you know, with step six. He started with step one. There's order in where there was chaos. There's going to be structure where there was no structure. We see how God, we learn some characteristics and some attributes about God and about his kingdom the earth, this creation, the heavens and the earth, that there is an order that mimics him and it's his character. But we see that in the beginning, God 
created. So he's the initiator. He is the one. He is the author. He's in charge. He's the, uh, the, the master designer. Like he holds the plans, family. He's in charge. And just like anybody, I don't know if anybody in here has a patent. I feel like somebody probably did. It might be Kevin Gregory has a patent in the room. But the person who holds the patent, right, is the expert, right? They're the one who get to speak about the origin and how it all began and what its function is and why this particular thing needs a patent because it will serve this particular purpose in light of whatever system. In the beginning was God. And he created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face. But what does John 1 tell us? That the light came and the darkness could not overcome the light. We see the Messianic prophecies about the Messiah who's come in which the light came down to darkness. Right? So there's this incredible picture. There's a function here at creation in which there's darkness and the light steps in. But we also see the salvific nature of Christ when he comes and takes on flesh, enters the world, and the light has come down to darkness. Amen? How good is that? Man, praise the Lord. So good. But I want us to understand that it is God himself, three in one, who established, created all things, and who rules. Because again, when you hold the patent, you establish the rules. You establish the environment. You establish how the program, the system. And that's important for us to know because I think sometimes one of the easiest ways that the world's idea about creation and the origin of things is to really kind of take this deistic approach, which is basically like, hey, God is just some, you know, he's described within their idea that he's the master clockwinder, where he builds the clock. It's very intricate. It's very uh, specific. But what he does is he winds it, and then he backs away, and it clicks and ticks on its own without any, uh, any further intervention from the master clockwinder. But you see, I need you to understand that that is not the God of the Bible, Even though he existed beyond space and time, before there was anything, he steps in and creates and is is intimately involved. Intimately involved. So, what happens? Let's look at God's purpose as he lays the foundation. And I I, I need you to think about, recall all all the documentaries that you've watched. Like on ocean systems or on uh, rainforests or on deserts or all these, these really complicated, like even the Galapagos, right? Like all these complicated ecosystems, like think to them, but think about them in light of God, they, them not existing, and then him speaking them into existence. Think. First day, we see in verse 3, and God said, let there be light. And what happened after millions of years and a bunch of right things happening? No, it says, and There was light. And God saw the light was good. God separated the light from darkness. God called the light day. The darkness he called night. There was evening and there was morning 
the first day. Which is why, personally, I hold that this is truly a 24-hour day. Second thing. So he divides light and darkness. It was good. Second thing in verse 6, we see sky or this firmament in which it separates the heavens and the earth. That there was an expanse in the midst of the waters and there was a separation from the waters from the water and God made the expanse and separated the waters where under the expanse from the waters there was above the expanse and it was so. God called the expanse heaven. There was evening, there was morning, second day. Okay, day three in verse nine. And God said, let waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place. Let dry land appear and it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas and God saw that it was good. Bear with me for one second because this is incredible. Consider the oceans that you visited. Consider, the, anybody been on a cruise? Has anybody been on a boat in which you saw 360 degrees, nothing but ocean? Majestic and terrifying all at the same time. You don't know what's below you. You don't know what's going to happen if this boat sinks. Like if it just ceases to function, you're a goner, right? I mean, there's whole movies about being a goner, goner in the ocean. But I need you to understand, anybody been in rough seas? Well, let me just fill you in. For one who's spent a fair amount of time in rough seas, it's one of the most humbling and terrifying things you've ever experienced. You might be in a seaworthy vessel. That ocean can toss you like a rag doll. Perfect storm, anybody? Like, I don't know if that's real. It's terrifying. I think about it every time I'm on a boat. The point is that the ocean itself is not tameable by human beings. And at creation, what does God do but tells the ocean, you will come right here and you will go no further. And what did the ocean do? It obeyed. This mass here, hey, we're going to call this this continent. And this land over here, it'll be this. And you'll be here, you'll be surrounded by water, and that's the end of it. And what did creation say? Amen. And yet we, all right, just a little heart dig. The Lord says, repent and believe, and what do we say? But we wag our fists at the one true God and say, no, I don't want to. I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. And maybe I'll call you when I'm on my deathbed. You see, we're a prideful, boastful people, and that is not something that we were, uh, we were intended to be, but that is the direct result of sin in our life. He spoke, he gathered waters, and they listened, and it was good. Day four. In verse 14, God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. Let them be for signs, for seasons, and for days and years. Man, what order, what incredible planning and intricacy God spoke into existence for the good of his kingdom. Listen to this. 
our galaxy, okay? So like our, our particular galaxy, the Milky Way, this is the only like nerd out I'm going to do, and I didn't come up with it. I read it. So this, this is a quote, okay? I'm not this smart. The Milky Way has 100 billion stars. There are 125 billion galaxies. Bear with me. Totaling, I don't even know if this is a real number, totaling to a billion trillion. This sounds like something my kid made up. A billion trillion stars in the whole universe. And hear me, God spoke every one of them into existence by name. And yet we worry about the most piddly things. Like, I say we. Let me, let me change that phrase. And yet, Corey Ickes worries and can be completely brought to my knees out of fear or angst because I'm not sure that the God who spoke galaxies into orbit can actually manage and rule and reign sovereignly over my life. Anybody? Man, he is big, family. He is good. He is trustworthy. He always does what he says he's going to do. And you notice that creation just obeyed. There was no choice because the one who was creating spoke and all they had to do is say, yeah, okay. Day five. So in, in five days, we see that there is light, there's division between light and darkness, there's heaven and earth, there's waters and dry grounds are gathered and put boundaries in place. Day, five, day four, we see sun and moon and stars that just, you know, like control the tides, the seasons, the tilt of our earth and our entire orbit of the planets that we know. He just spoke it into existence. Day five, we see fish and sea creatures and birds, and it was good. And day six, we see land animals, and then there is a particular emphasis on human beings. So if you'll jump down with me in verse 26, and God said, let us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. It was good. It was very good is what he said about uh, uh, Adam and Eve. It was very good. But do you see the intentionality and the foundational laying down of creation. It's incredible. Absolutely incredible. Because God is the one who established his kingdom. And he's also the one that rules. He rules. So one of the big takeaways of this entire sermon today is that we may give him a nod at creator, but are we bowing as our ruler? Because, again, this is where the world's narrative of creation is essentially, you got it, you're mostly okay, just work real hard, get resourced, and you'll pull through. But I'm saying, this is a God who established 
a complex world, universe, and kingdom that we are to come and humbly bow like the oceans and obey at his command. God is the one who's established the creation and rules over all creation. The the second thing I want us to see is that humanity is the pinnacle of creation, okay? Humanity, men and women, in this case specifically Adam and Eve, but all the generations are the pinnacle of creation. We're told that they're made in, God says, in our image, the, the Latin word for there is imago Dei, okay? And this, this is important if you're, if you, that's, all, that's all the Latin I know. So you don't need to know a lot to know that this is really important. Imago Dei, in the image of God. And, and what this does is this separates us from all of creation by God's design. It was the crescendo of creation. It's the pinnacle. It's the height of God's spoken creation is those who he created to, uh, to share in his attributes. We are not God. Don't track me with me to go that far. But we are made like him. Listen to a couple of definitions. It distinguishes humankind from the animals and the plant kingdoms. It elevates humankind above all terrestrial created things so as to ex- exercise benevolent and ethical stewardship over creation. Another idea or, or build on to this definition. Man is unique among the creatures, the creatures in that he is like God and therefore able to have communion and fellowship with God. We are expressly different than the animal kingdom. Amen? Just like get some nods here. This is important. This is why we fight for the dignity of life. From birth, right, from tomb to the womb, right, of every creed, every race, every color, every religion, we fight for the dignity of human beings because they're all, regardless of disability, regardless of whatever you fill in the blank, if they are human beings, we fight for their right and dignity to life because God made them. We don't get to pick and choose. We don't get to kind of separate and make exceptions and clauses. We, we, because we share in the character and attributes of God, we fight for that in others. We fight for that in others. But I also need us to understand that it, anybody an older child, this older children, no older children? Okay, there's a few of you. This, this, this illustration breaks down pretty quickly, but there is a responsibility as that older child, right? Sometimes we overblow that responsibility. Like that, I mean, that's classic older child's, like first, yeah, my son, yeah, him. Uh, like we can really overblow that responsibility as the firstborn, right? Or we can kind of shirk it off and just be like, well, I don't really want to press into that. All the more as image bearers of God, there is a weight and a responsibility that we are created in the image of God and what we're going to see in this next point with the express purposes of God. You and me, 
I don't care what your background is. I don't care how traumatic it was. I do care. But what I'm saying is, is that we, regardless of our stories and our backgrounds, we were created for an eternal purpose that like makes a difference today and tomorrow and the next day. We don't get to bypass. We're made in the image of God. God formed these humans from the dust and breathed life into them. Again, going back to the one who speaks, he literally formed us like clay and then blows his breath and gives us life. So in the relationship, who has the authority? It ain't us. It's not us. But in his goodness, I love this. Look at the provision that we see in his goodness. So God declares that we are different. We're made in his image. And he says, he goes on and he says, let them have dominion. So he, he gives us purpose. He gives us provision at the end there in chapter 29 and 30, where he talks about how, hey, every plant, every tree, all that I have made is for you and for your provision. I got you. In my kingdom that I rule and reign in, you are loved, you are cared for, I have you, you don't have to worry. That's our origin. That is how things began. That was what we were made to live in. Imagine the rest. Imagine the the comfort, the stability that is found in living in that kind of kingdom, family. I mean, you don't have to worry. Like, Adam and Eve never had the thought of like, I don't know if I'm going to make ends meet this week. They never had to worry. Because the loving God of the universe provided for them. He gave them boundaries, right? He, he set boundaries. And, and my, uh, my background is, is mental and behavioral health. One of the things that I had to do a lot of coaching around was boundaries for my employees. Because you're in human services and you just want to scoop them up and take them home. But one thing that, it wasn't my quote, I forget who said it, but essentially, uh, boundaries, clarity of boundaries brings like comfort and stability. When those things are muddy, when you're not really sure what the edge is, all of a sudden there's, there's gray area. And it's like, am I over the line or am I not? I don't know. It, it begins to feel unstable. God says very clearly to his people, hey, this is like, all of this is yours. It is for you. I've given it to you. It is for you. But there is this tree over here. Do not, lest you will surely, what? You will surely die. What a mean God. I can't, why in the world would he not allow them? Anybody? Anybody's first response, how could he withhold from them? God in his kindness gave provision. And and those boundaries, they come after the provision. He gives the provision in chapter 1. It's not in chapter 2, which is kind of a a drill down in the creation of man and woman in which he gives them the boundaries of not partaking of that tree. He's given us all we need, and then he sets the boundary and says, you're good, I got you. And don't do this over here. 
right? And, and live under this rule, live under this reign, and you're good. He gave instruction. Listen to this. Humanity was at harmony with God. The God of the universe, the one who existed before all this happened, they are abiding with him, like we're told to in John. They are spending time with him, hearing from God, walking with him. And remember, let's just not miss the fact that they are naked, like not naked, they're naked and they're unashamed. Why? Because there was nothing, there was nothing wrong with their nakedness before the fall. There was no shame. There was no embarrassment. There was not even a category for insecurity or am I good enough or am I, am I the right size or the wrong size, too small, too big, whatever it was. It was all good, right, and perfect. And they were in harmony with God vertically. They were with him. They were in har- harmony one another. So, I mean, this whole thing, like you could preach a series on marriage from these texts because there's harmony between the first man and the first woman in a marriage in which they are completely unhindered, unrestrained towards one another. They are in harmony and they're in harmony with creation in which they are ruling over. They are stewards of. They are cultivating. They are seeing creation flourish. They're not at odds. It's not like Naked and Afraid, the television show, where people literally go naked and like attempt to live in the woods. This is the total opposite. They're flourishing because that was God's kindness in his rule when all things began. Everything, this is from a little, uh, actually Marty referenced a, a little booklet called The Story last week. This is a quote from the, everything God created worked together perfectly, just the way it was supposed to. There was no suffering, no pain, no death. There was complete love, acceptance, intimacy between God and man, between Adam and Eve, and throughout creation. It was a place of perfect peace. Shalom. Humanity was the pinnacle of creation. This last one is the goal of all of creation is to glorify God through their created purpose. We already hit on a lot of of the the natural elements of creation and their function and purpose. It was a part of God's provision for his people. But also it was the place for humans to fulfill their purpose in which they were to work and and rest. There there was this picture of, hey, we're going to do hard work. You're going to have to subdue the land. You're going to take it. You're going to work it. Any gardeners in the room like that on steroids, you are responsible for being a caregiver, a representative of God to creation, having dominion over it, cultivating it in order for it to flourish. Purpose number one. Purpose number two, be fruitful and multiply. So they've got work to do, but there's also this created purpose in which they are to be fruitful in, as in having lots of children. Because there's just two of them, right? So big earth to populate. Have babies. But I want you to, it's more than just have babies, family. It's multiply yourself as ones who are in harmony vertically with God. Your offspring will also be in harmony with God and with one another. The point was that we, they were to be filling the earth within God's kingdom and all of their offspring were going to live under the rule and reign of God with all provision, 
with all care, with boundaries, with instruction, and with purpose. Anybody, like, that sounds good. Like, sign me up for that. No fighting the system, no trying to make ends meet, scrapping out a life for yourself. You know, like, like just come and be and trust me and live under my rule. Man. All creation is for the praise of God. Adam and Eve were purposed and commissioned. Be fruitful and multiply. Have dominion. So we see work is oftentimes painted as a result of the curse. Work outdates the curse of sin. Work was a part of the garden. Work is a category in which God has made us for. We have a purpose. You have a purpose. One of the questions that are often paired with how did it all begin is like, why am I here? What, what do I do? I feel like I'm lost. I, my identity, like I, I tried to put it in my job and then I lost my job. I tried to put it in my relationship and then she left me. I tried to identify in this and I went bankrupt. Like everything that we attempt to identify in seems to fall short every time. And it's because the only thing that we can truly find our identity in is God's ordained purposes for our life. Be fruitful and multiply. There's this picture of us living in a right relationship with God that drives the right relationships with us horizontally to our loved ones and our relationships, but also towards society and towards creation. And I don't know about you, but there's a big nagging question that we're going to answer next week What's like, what went wrong? Because quite honestly, my day in, day out experience is not the Garden of Eden. What happened? But before we can answer what happened, we must know what happened. How did it all begin? All right, so a couple of takeaways. All right, so if you're in a DNA group, DNA, discover, in, nurture, A, act. I want us to use these categories. Discover means we're teaching our heads. We're learning something. Here's what we need to learn from this text from this creation account, is we must understand and believe that God's creation story is true, but not just intellectually true, but it actually shapes our understanding of how things began. Okay? We need to, our minds need to know that. Like, this might be news to you. Maybe you've never heard this account. This truth needs to shape us. All right? Nurture. We need to preach this truth into our hearts. So that means that we're going to need to repent and turn away from some wrong thinking, some wrong ideas, and actually obey and like uh, uh, believe some right things, okay? Here, listen to this. Have we believed a lie or rebelled against this truth of God's? What are, you be- are you believing a lie as it relates to how things have begun? Not because you're a criminal that you're believing a lie, but like, have you been more informed by the narrative of the world, or by God's word and truth. So there may be to be some of us that go, you know, like I see areas where this, these false truths have impacted me. I need to repent, turn. That's what repentance means, to turn. You see, we need to repent of our rebellion 
not just about how creation came to be, but like the ocean, that raging ocean stopped where the Lord God told it to stop. You and I need to stop, or maybe go, or whatever the command is, and yet we're living in rebellion. And it's like, yeah, God, I, like, I need you to save me. I don't want to go. Like, I want to be with you one day, but I've got some other things that I just kind of need to get done, and I can't really involve you in it. That's the, that's the I mean, I think that's the trap that most of us probably function in or run the risk of. And then how do we empower our hands to obey? So for one, there's one group of people in the room. If you're not in Jesus, the first thing that you need to understand is that you hear the truth of God, that you were created for a purpose. You were created with a plan. You were created within God's kingdom to come under his rule and his reign. But if you've been living on, as the king on your own throne, then today needs to be the day in which you step off. And you turn away from yourself in your own kingdom. And you bow down before God himself as your king. We call it repentance and belief. That God is really who he said he is. He did what he really said he was going to do. Because that's true, we bow before him. We say, would you forgive me of my sin? Would you forgive me of my rebellion? Would you make me yours? Right? But there's other group, and that's for believers in the room. Are there areas in your life, maybe you yes and amen this whole sermon. You, you read that text and go, I believe, every, I believe every period, every comma, every subscript, superscript, whatever it is. I believe it all. But functionally, are you coming under the loving, kind, rule of God in your life or are you giving him a nod to spiritual things and then just kind of trucking on as functionally your own king that's a question I need to ask it's a question you need to ask and right now we're about to take communion so what I'm going to ask is everybody to bow your heads and let's just take a moment to uh, consider this truth. I would imagine most of us in this room would yes and amen this text of Scripture. And potentially run the risk of functionally in our everyday life living in more rebellion to God than coming under His rule and reign. When I am asserting my way or the highway. When I prioritize my things over him. When I pick and choose uh, what parts of his word or of his economy that I'm going to champion or kind of just push to the side. what sins I'm going to kind of just make peace with because they're not that big of a deal. There's a lot of things that you and I might not call rebellion to God, but quite honestly, if we're not 
seeking to function within his rule and his reign and allow his word to permeate every part of our life, then that means that day in and day out, we're, we're dealing with these little fits of rebellion. But the glorious truth is that in God's incredible creation, He did not create simple things. These are complex systems. We're complex people. We had a lot of emotions. Because of sin, we live in a complex world full of a lot of evil, full of a lot of awful things. But, the truth of God in His creation, that He's loving, that He rules and reigns, that He has all provision for His people, that He has given us all instruction on how to live in His kingdom, none of that has changed. Is it exponentially harder for us to obey it because of sin in the fall that we're going to learn about next week? 1,000%. Which is why we want to exchange rebellion for submission. We want to go from living in the gray to, Lord, I need you to show me in black and white from your word the truth, and I want to live in it. Lord, I'm tired of trying to navigate in a Christian way without submitting to your scriptures, without living in community with the church. So my question is, is the Lord showing you anything? We get to repent and believe. And this is something that Christians should be doing daily. Going, Lord, I, like this morning, I'm just recounting all the ways that I fell short. Whether it was motives that nobody knew about, whether it was thoughts that nobody knew about, or if I botched it with my kids on the way home last night. God, I want to repent of those things. Go, Lord, please enable me to live under your rule and reign. Help me to parent my kids when they're really tired and when I'm really tired in a way that honors you and glorifies you because that was your created and intended purpose in my life as a parent. So please, pray. And then if you haven't received a communion cup, you can walk to the corner and grab some, and in a second we will take communion. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for your creation and how you are so perfect. Everything was good, right, and perfect. We praise you that your plan and your purpose and your order, like that stuff has not ceased even with the reality of sin in our hearts and in this world. And Lord, as your people, God, we want to walk more faithfully. Lord, we want to put off our rebellion. We want to put off our um, reigning our own lives. And we want to come under the, the loving rule of you, of you and your kingdom. God, we want to enter into the safety of your provision, of your instruction, of your, your care, of your boundaries, so that we can flourish and, and begin to fulfill our created purpose in life. Lord, thank you for the word. Thank you for conviction by your spirit. 
Thank you for the ability through the blood of Jesus that we can repent of our sins and turn to you for restoration, for forgiveness, and for renewal, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Man, praise the Lord for his word. Amen. So good. So good. We need it. We need Genesis 1 in our life. All right? Like, I don't know about you, but sometimes it's weird flipping to that very front of the Bible. But we find the goodness of Jesus from page 1 of Genesis all the way through Revelation. And through this series, we're going to get to, to, to tease out and experience that. But right now, I want to go to Luke chapter 22. Jesus tells us, we've been given communion as a, uh, as a physical reminder. Think about it. Jesus said, hey, this bread that I give, this cup that I give, do this in remembrance of me. Because you know why? Our hearts are so forgetful. Our hearts are so forgetful. That, and it's the same with baptism where it's like, hey, you physically get into the water. You physically get wet as a reminder that you are no longer who you were. You're a new creation. You've been buried in the grave of Christ and you have resurrected to a new creation. He's given us physical reminders to stir up the forgetfulness of our hearts. And this is what communion is. So when he's, remember, at, this is the, the, in Luke 22, this is right before, um, right before he goes to the cross. So he says like, hey, I'm not, I'm not taking this meal again, right? And he, what does he do? He doesn't point them to some quote that he said, but he gives them a physical thing to hold, to taste, to touch. Why? Because we're so forgetful. But today, we get to be physically reminded of the spiritual truth of what the death, the resurrection, the grave, and the ascension means for us. So, Jesus, if you would, open your little thing. Jesus says, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me because of sin from Genesis 3. Because of that, our image and our ability to live in God's kingdom was marred and broken, but not fully destroyed. That, that sin entered the world and disrupted our ability to fellowship with God. But God in His sovereignty set forth a redemption plan that required the breaking of the body of Christ for our forgiveness. By His wounds, we are healed. And so, as Jesus is with His disciples approaching the cross, He gives them this meal. And He says, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And He takes and He breaks bread and they eat the bread. So family, let's take and eat. Jesus, thank You that You came down in flesh and you suffered and died that we would be healed. God, you, you received all the wrath of God in our place, and we praise you. And then it says that he took the cup after they had eaten and said, this cup that is poured out for you is the, the new covenant in my blood. 
So that there is, a, there is a fulfillment in Christ, a fulfillment of the old covenant. And it's a fulfillment through the shed blood of Christ. In order, family, don't miss this connection back to Genesis. In order that we could be reconciled to God, be washed white as snow, and live under His rule and reign in His kingdom. And so he says, here's the cup that's poured out for you. It's the new covenant in my blood. And they took and they drank. So let's drink. Jesus, we bless your name that you saw fit to go to the cross in complete and total obedience. And you spilt your blood in place of ours. We praise you for your body and your blood. We praise you for the redemption that we've received and that you have made a way for us to enter into God's created purpose and in his kingdom. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's teaching. If you'd like to learn more about how you can be a part of what God is doing here at Point, connect with us at www.pointchurch.live. Thank you.